The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus raised his eyes to heaven and said, Father, those whom you gave me are your gift to me. I wish that where I am, they also may be with me, that they may see my glory that you gave me, because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Righteous Father, the world also does not know you, but I know you, and they know that you sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will make it known, that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise you, Lord Jesus Christ. You know, in the course of our lives, we are surrounded by many things and many people. We sort of take them for granted. They pass through life with us. But we don't often think about them and where they are going. But one thing we will notice if we ponder it is that everything that exists acts for an end, for a purpose. It's going somewhere. Most of it doesn't know that. A tree doesn't know that it has an end, a goal, a purpose. A rock doesn't know that either. Even animals don't know that they have an end and act for an end. As the tree is growing, it is acting for an end. As the animal moves through life, it is acting for an end also. The only creatures who are aware of the fact that they act for an end are humans. We know that we do that. And we're aware of the end for which we are acting, too. We may not often think of it in those terms. Maybe it's something we do almost as a response. When we eat, we are aware of the fact that we are eating. But we don't think that we're acting for an end. There's a purpose to that eating. Health. And health has a purpose also. And so on. Whatever it is, there's a goal. The goal, as I said, may not be realized in our mind. It's there. Perhaps from time to time we think about it. Little children are always asking you why this is. We'll say, why do I have to eat this? And parents spend a lot of time explaining to their children why these things happen and why they must do these things. But children want to know because children have a sense that they act for an end, too. As we get older, we forget it although the ends become more profound. What may have been very simple when we were young has become not only simple but more necessary. To simply look forward to the next meal as a child might or look forward to affection from parents. As we get older, we act because we have to support ourselves, support a family. That's our goal, too. Um, And so forth on through life. But all of those goals 
whatever they may be, if they are good, are only a symbol of something else, the one goal for which we were created to act, the one end for which we were meant to live and towards which we were meant to move. And that end is, of course, God. When we love someone in this life, whether it be a friend or if it be a spouse or family, that's a love that's directing us towards the final perfect love that will not pass away, the love of God. We can ignore it, reject it, smother it, deny it, but that's the reason that we love, because we want a greater love. We want the love that lasts. As our Lord said in today's Gospel, he wants us to be with him, not just in some sentimental way, but in a loving relationship beyond anything we can imagine, a perfect love that leaves nothing uh, left to desire. I made known to them your name, and I will make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them, and I in them. That's not a human love, or it is rather a human love that's taken to its perfection beyond our capacity. Only God's power can give us the grace to love like that. And much of the world rejects it. But we are called to it. And at one point, we are going to have to face that. Because this life ends. There are those, of course, who will say, well, that's all there is. So you might as well get as much out of this life as you can because there's nothing more. And yet we all demand something more. We're never satisfied with what we have. And we shouldn't be, either. God didn't create us for that. He created us not to be satisfied with anything in this life, but only for what he is. That's our journey. That's a wonderful thing. Uh, when we go through life, we should just look at things differently that way. We should. We see everything is moving towards one point, and that point is God. That tree exists for his greater honor and glory, so does that rock. So does that animal. So do we. And then again, as I said, we come to an end. In the midst of all of this beauty, there is also that element that we find painful. Uh, death is something that we, sometimes we find frustrating. There are people, however, who could welcome death uh, for different reasons, though. And there are people for whom it is only the frustrating end, as is suffering. And yet, in some way, God uses all of these things, even human evil, he will turn and transform into something that leads to him, if we are open to it. That's the way life is. And we come to that end now in the life of Gertrude. Gertrude, I think, was someone who was always waiting, towards the end anyway, uh, wondering where God was. Uh, I think you sometimes see that with someone like Gertrude. They reach a certain age and they think, wonder, wonder why God has them hanging around so long. And I always had to tell her, because Gertrude, you're not finished yet. God is still calling you to something. In fact, you may be doing your greatest work when you think you're not doing anything at all. 
you have more time to do things that are of God than you did before, although in a very different way. Um, you know, I, I always say this at funerals. When we die, we go to look into the face of God. And when we do, we will see things very differently, beginning with ourselves. We'll see perhaps the beauty that is there and the beauty that is not. We can never canonize or judge anybody at funerals, but we believe the person who's lived a good life as best they can, responding to the will of God, uh, will in the end look upon the face of God. Because God will tear away all of those things that have, in some ways have kept us from him or not of him so that we can now look upon him as the perfect creature he meant us to be. And in that, as I said, we were going to find some suffering. In every life, we will find that. I always, I always comment on that. that. I recently came across a, a statement, and Gertrude would have understood this, that, uh, by a French philosopher who said, the two things he said I've mentioned, some of you have heard me mention them before, Leon Blois, who said, Gertrude would have agreed with him, by the way, uh, the only failure in life, the only real sadness, the greatest tragedy is that we are not saints. That's all. But he said something else, too, that many of you can understand. He said, there are places that do not exist in our hearts until they are born into existence through suffering. In other words, there's a certain time of love we will never know unless we have suffered. God showed us that, and we know that. That's how we know God's love. Not because he just told us, which he did, but because he showed us in an act of infinite love and redemption. So Gertrude's life was a very interesting one. But there are certain lives that seem rather ordinary, like most of us here. Gertrude's was not ordinary. If she'd been the type to write books, she could have written one about her life, going back to Germany, and the war years, and then coming to this country in the 50s, um, the pharmacy, all these things that were part of her life. But the one thing that most of us will remember about Gertrude is her great love and compassion for, for people. She was always very much aware of other people's suffering, more so than her own, I think. She was always looking for ways to, in some way, bring them relief and consolation. She went out of her way to do that. I mean, it wasn't just something she did occasionally because she wanted to do something good because it would be a good thing to do. It was a way of life for her. She just lived that way, as few people do. You know, people will often say, you know, what made her that way? Uh, was she just somebody who wanted to run around doing good deeds? No. What made Gertrude the woman she was, that gave her that great apostolic missionary energy to help people who would not otherwise be helped by anybody was her faith. Above everything else, she was a woman of faith. But not a vague faith either. She believed in it all from the beginning to the end. And you knew it. Not because she went around bragging about it, but because she lived it in such a visible way. And there was a certain something in her that always made you realize that there was something good about humanity after all. This was something that you wanted to experience and you wanted to um, integrate into your own life. I suppose in our day and age, people will think someone like Gertrude was a rather uh, strange character, uh, 
because we live in a world that is very much out for itself. That was not her way of thinking, uh, not her way of responding. I remember every year she would bring us certain things at different times of the year when I was the pastor at Lourdes. Um, Monsignor Brockman, the vicar general, and I were just joking about this the other day. There were three other priests who wanted to be here. Father Ty, unfortunately, has the mass at the Catholic Center now. Um, Father Garneau was not able to leave Mount Olive. And Monsignor Brockman, of course, is dealing with the new bishop who just arrived yesterday. But Monsignor Brockman was stationed with me, and every year she would send us at Christmas time a Stolen. She, she was a great baker, Stolen. Monsignor Brockman had arrived, and I said, he said, What's that? I said, It's, it's Stolen from Gertrude. He said, Stolen from Gertrude. I said, not stolen, stolen. It's something you eat uh, that she sends us every year. And she would send things over like that. Sometimes it would be succotash. But you never knew what it was going to be. It was always something she wanted to send us, just because that's the way Gertrude was. And she had a great devotion, too, to the Legion of Mary. I'm so glad to see so many Legion people here today and many others who told me they couldn't be here. Um, a great devotion to the Legion of Mary and to the Blessed Mother. Uh, her first focus was always on the Lord, particularly in the Eucharist. The Eucharist meant everything to her. That's really the thing that transformed her more than anything else in her life, she would tell you, was the Eucharist. And that's what she wanted to receive whenever she could, and we made sure that she got it. Um, and because she wanted to know our Lord so well, she, of course, wanted to know his friends, and especially his mother. That's how you learn about people, not just from knowing them, but by knowing their friends, and particularly by knowing their mother. Mothers can reveal more about people than perhaps anyone else can. And so she had a great devotion to the Blessed Mother, particularly to the Rosary, which she would expect from someone who was a good Legion member. But of course she was an active person because the Legion isn't something, it isn't just a matter of being pious. Anybody can be pious. But her piety always led to, to love. And as I said, to love for other people, and particularly people who were not loved by other people or who perhaps were isolated and didn't have time and didn't have people coming to see them. Gertrude would be there uh, because she knew that they needed someone, and she was going to be that someone. As time went on, of course, she was able to do less and less and lost her independence, but she never lost her piety, nor did she lose her love. You could see it in her when you visited her. It was always there, uh, but it was not something that she just willed. It was something that came from her faith. As I said, the Eucharist to her was so, so dear the body and blood of the Lord, the risen Christ. Uh, I think she would have spent her whole life in the presence of the Blessed Sacrament if she could have, um, because that was the resurrection. And now she has gone to look into the face of God. And we believe that she will look upon that face, um, and he will see himself in her. Again, a woman who understood sacrifice. I often say you can't be a mother and a, a, a wife without knowing what it means to sacrifice. And that's true, but there were so many other types of sacrifice in her life that went far beyond anything that she had to do as a wife or a mother, uh, that she really understood the wounds of Christ as they exist in this world. That's true with people who love uh, the poor and the unloved. Mother Teresa once said to a priest, speaking about prayer, because she always knew that prayer was the first thing in her life, her prayer life, her piety, her devotion to the Blessed Sacrament, Mother Teresa. She once said to a priest, uh, she said, well, you know, prayer must be the first thing in my life, because without God, we are too poor to help the poor. 
Gertrude knew that. It was because of her faith she was rich and was able to help the poor. And we trust now that Gertrude, as you go to him, that he will recognize you. He'll recognize you because you have seen his wounds and borne his wounds and tended to his wounds. Uh, you are then someone whom he knows as you come to him. I remember with the Blessed Mother, Bishop Sheen used to joke in saying that when he looked into the face of the Lord, he expected the Lord to say, uh, oh yes, my mother has often spoken of you. Uh, the same thing can be said of Gertrude, that the Lord will know her. Uh, first of all, he knows all of us as no one else does, including the Blessed Mother, but I'm sure that his mother has often spoken of Gertrude as well. So we commend you to, to the Lord then, Gertrude. Now, as you finish, we ask you that you will pray for us too, now, in a way that you could even more perfectly than you could pray before. And she was always aware, too, of that favorite poem. I won't quote the whole thing of Bishop Sheen that was so dear to his heart, was dear to hers, too. Lovely lady dressed in blue, teach me how to pray. God was just your little boy, and you know the way. And you did. And now we pray that you will complete that journey in the arms of the Lord and find that perfect love uh, which you sought for and which you gave in this life. Almighty Father, we come before you as the people redeemed by the blood of your Son and trusting in your love and mercy. For Gertrude, who in baptism was given the pledge of eternal life, that she may now be admitted to the company of the saints, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For our sister, who ate the body of Christ, the bread of life, that she may be raised up on the last day, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For our deceased relatives and friends, and for all who have helped us, that they may now have the reward of their goodness, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For those who have fallen asleep in the hope of rising again, that they may see God face to face, we pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For the family and the friends of Gertrude, that they may be consoled by their grief by the Lord, who wept at the death of his friend Lazarus. We pray to the Lord. Lord, hear our prayer. For all of us assembled here to worship in faith, that we may be gathered together in God's kingdom, we pray to the Lord. God, our shelter and our strength, you listen in love to the cry of your people. Hear the prayers we offer for our departed brothers and sisters, and in particular for Gertrude. Cleanse them of their sins and grant them the fullness of redemption. We ask this through Christ our Lord. 